0: Hello, this is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we are going to talk about the Lost Dutchman Mine. We're going to talk about Verisite. We've got some fossil news. We're going to talk about Strawberry Onyx. Many other interesting things in the news. Um, like, like I said, we've got some fossil news and good stuff like that. Um, running a little late this week on the podcast because of uh, technical difficulties. My car engine... Uh, blew up, I guess you could say it's junk basically, and also my computer crashed, and I don't know if it's a hardware deal or a mega virus, but that's getting looked at. So we're trying to rely on uh, the ancient tablet and uh, some uh, just basically looking up information from books and stuff in the library, per sort of speak. So. With that, we'd like to ask you to support uh, all things Radical Rock. All our social medias can be found at RadicalRocks.com. You just scroll down to the bottom. There's all our links. We've got podcasts, blogs. We've got um, YouTube videos and all that good stuff. All of your social media links to connect you with thousands and thousands of other people who are like-minded with rocks and minerals. And as you go to RadicalRocks.com, you can see that we have a few items there for sale. I want to thank everybody for going to our Facebook live sale as well. So let's get right into it. Um, Let's see. I've got the computer here already failing on me so technical difficulties have been just plaguing me this week and give me a second pull this back up first of all let's talk about the strawberry onyx um the orange belt mineralogical society in the inland empire of southern california uh, which i'm a member of wonderful organization that educates people does field trips they have shop uh, very affordable and a great community of like-minded rock hounds, mineral lovers, and lapidary artists that are willing to share their knowledge and everything else. The Strawberry Onyx is reported of a beautiful strawberry onyx with vivid swirls and bands of reddish pink that was shown from uh, the old ribbon rock mine in the Bristol Mountains, which is in the Mojave Desert. Um, They went to go see if there was anything left for Rockhounds to find. It took a 14-mile drive on a dirt road and then was followed by a two-mile hike. Now, it is slightly uphill, so you do want to be in good condition if you're going to do this to reach the trailhead. They took Interstate 40 east of Barstow and exited Ludlow, continued approximately a mile to a dirt road, Turned right to a power line road, traveled approximately 13.2 miles to the trailhead. Not too bad, but four wheel drive is probably required. Now, this travel is along a power line road, which is uh, pretty common out here in California. Beautiful view of the Kelso Dunes. Now, is the trip worth the effort? Well, they said that as they approach the site, there's an old cabin that is constructed from railroad ties. Um, it's very dilapidated, but it's a good base. The hill directly north of the cab, cabin uh, has the strawberry onyx and colorful travertine onyx. So there's still an opportunity there with uh, um, sledgehammers and chisels, hard rock mining if you would. Um, There's also abundant material found along the hillsides. The strawberry onyx is very pretty. There's also jasper and agate to be found in this area. They even found some chunks of chalcedony with a little touch of fire in them. So this uh, sounds like a great trip to me. If you join the Orange Belt Mineralogical Society, you will get these newsletters, you will get these updates. Um, we have pictures here of some of the members cracking some of this beautiful strawberry onyx uh, apart from huge boulders that would uh, just be too much to carry out by hand. but uh, and there it is. There's the uh, little cabin, uh, kind of a box looking thing. and the strawberry onyx is a prize to be had. There's pictures of it there. You can check that out. All right. Now, how about treasures? Gemstones from outer space Yes, Will Robinson So, if you go way back You know exactly what that is um, Outer space is a treasure chest Of gemstones And this is found on the Astronomy site Astronomy.com Outer space is a treasure chest Of gemstones And uh, this was written by Emma Yesinski, uh, And has pictures of diamonds And sapphires on the cover here Scientists have found that, yes, there is diamonds in the universe. a Very abundant. Um, unusual, right? You would think carbon would be um, something that uh, um, is, is from de- dying things. Things that have died and been compacted. But, uh, you know, it's a natural occurring mineral. And diamonds are there. Opals, rubies, and sapphire. Um, opal, to be able to form has to have water. So them finding um, opal uh, and signs of opal is very exciting. The scientist here says, uh, NASA's monthly announcement of discovery of water on Mars, even in the inferred spectrum, which they look to find the different minerals that have been taken from Mars from the spacecraft have shown every single location uh, shows water at some level or another all over Mars so they feel that there is water underneath the surface to be found and that would indicate that they should find uh, uh, opal. In fact in 2008 um, to get some really good details they did find some opaline silica with their uh, cameras and, and searching. Also they predict that other gems could be found like ruby, sapphire, Um, and evidence of cubic zirconium is actually found in moon rocks um, that can be found. So very interesting to think about gems in outer space, maybe a little ways off for some of us, but uh, pretty fun, pretty exciting stuff. Now, a fossil hunter discovers a rare sea mollusk. I don't have much fossil news for you today due to my technical difficulties. I just can't pull up that many windows on this ancient uh, uh, iPad here that I'm utilizing for some of today's information but if you go to leftbridgeherald.com there's an article there called fossil hunter discovers a rare sea mollusk and they've got a picture of it there and this is one of those kind of things that uh, you know you really got to know what what it looks like or you think it's just an ugly rock but uh, they have a picture of this fossil here and it is a species uh, or a relative a cousin as it were of ammonites Fossilized shell has some iridescent qualities when held up to the light and is related closely to the sea mollusk, also known as the nautilus today. Now, this uh, fossil here, the article was written by Tim Kalnotsky on February 9th. Um, They did a bunch of fossil hunting trips, and they discovered this rare sea fossil while looking at the area near St. Mary's River on the Crown Islands, Call and found this uh, sea mollusk here and they found quite a few of them, uh, hundreds of them actually. So it's kind of a new area, a new discovery apparently that uh, his daughter actually found in 2018, uh, his youngest daughter. And uh, so the third only ever found Uh, okay so the hundreds of ones that they found are not this rare variety they're more a common variety that's been found so let me make a little correction there so this is only the third one of this very very rare one they call them dinosaur um, they're like in a concretion and they call them dinosaur eggs in a sense because they look like it but sometimes inside is a specimen of a fossil and that's how they found this um, this mollusk here all right Um, Next, I've got a nerdy article I may read at the top. Um, We'll talk about that. It's called Who Invented the... um, And it gives a good description of the metrologic microscope which is very um, good at looking at minerals and learning about them. Gemology, mineralogy, uh, different things like that. We've talked about some of these things in the past, but a uh, very good article here. If we have time, we'll go look back and look at that. Next, we want to talk about why some rocks on Earth turn red. Um, the article's in Science Times. Go to sciencetimes.com, and uh, you can see the article there. Uh, written by Isabella Beltran on February 9th, Why Do Some Rocks Turn Red? And there's some beautiful pictures here of some of the hills in uh, United States of America from all over um, the country, mostly in the Midwest, but they do talk about rocks in New Jersey, rocks in the American Southwest, and the red, a lot of time, according to Christopher Leper, is due to hematite. Um, there's very few locations where red hematite hematite um, phenomenon is widespread and that is mostly here in the West. They call it geological red beds on Earth and also this is found in Mars. Now other things of course can cause rocks to fade to red but uh, hematite is a most abundant mineral on our surface in the shallow crust and it is a iron oxide uh, commonly responsible for rock uh, forming in metamorphic sedimentary and igneous rocks at various locations around the world. It's also a very valuable source of ore, uh, can be collected and used in gym, uh, certain gym uses and things like that. Uh, it's really good when you find like jasper with hematite bands through it, or even some tiger's eye with hematite bands through it, it can be very impressive and give it quite the striking look. Um, But anyway, hematite uh, uh, information has been analyzed, and scientists and researchers are looking at the relationships between the um, distribution of this in relation to geological formations, and uh, also in um, fossils, vertebrae, and climate. Uh, situation. So pretty interesting. Uh, the article goes on to say that uh, scientists believe, uh-oh, page moved on me, uh, they believe the redness is caused by iron and rocks reacting with air similar to rust. So basically the rocks are rusting and uh, hopefully we can go out there and collect them before they rust away, right? <laughs> okay, now the Superstition Mountains is the location Of the fabled Lost Dutchman mine. We'll just go through a few points and topics. Um, One of the references that I use is an old book from the early 1970s, Treasure Hunter's Digest by Jack Lewis, Um, how and where to find hidden treasure. If you ever have a chance to buy these old books, it's certainly worth it. The history of the Lost Dutchman um, could be talked about for hours and hours. There's book after book written on them, but they are surrounded in mystery, in legend, In many deaths, uh, amazingly, there's just been piles of bodies (laughs) piled up over the years from different causes of death, including snake bites, sunstroke, um, and, of course, violence, acts of violence or just dying out in the desert. Many skulls, bones, bodies, swords, and weapons associated with these violent um, confrontations Over the decades, when this area was owned um, many, many years ago, um, actually Spanish armor has been found there, Spanish swords, Mexican straw sandals by the hundreds have been found there. Many signs that showed that there was some major mining going on here. Um, the mystery really began about 1748 when Don Miguel Pertalta uh, owned some 3,750 miles of this. It was deeded to his family uh, in 1848. The Treaty of guadalupe Hidalgo was part uh, of the deal that made that become part of the United States. So this family um, wanted to get the gold out of there that they could and at the same time there was uh, a lot of uh, activity from the apache indians because this area was considered sacred for them so uh, uh, battles ensued where a lot of the family was killed trying to uh, get the last bits of that gold they could before they lost the ownership to that mine uh, and that land and in this effort uh, it seems that it was pretty well hidden. Several stories have been found where large amounts of gold uh, have been found, where possibly these struggles took place. Uh, one, one story goes on to say that these uh, Mexican miners were uh, overcome by the Apache Indians and uh, tried to run away. And is uh, then and were killed. And many years later, in a volcanic area, uh, quite a ways away from here, um, was eighteen thousand dollars in gold. This was in nineteen seventy-five, when gold was probably you know more reasonably priced. I'm not sure, but um, they found this gold there, which they think could have came from this area. Many, many stories. Now, one of the identifying areas that uh, Everybody talks about for this lost Dutchman mine uh, in the Superstition Mountains is identified as Weaver's Needle. Uh, Weaver's Needle is the landmark that uh, everybody who's gone treasure searching in this area is looking for. This is uh, several miles uh, to the south, it says, where these Apaches Attacked and where this sack of gold, um, some of the gold might have been found, if that's the same gold, um, on another one of these many stories of gold that was found here and there. Now, um, at one point, apparently, um, the Apaches knew about this, and a gentleman was blindfolded and taken to Weaver's Needle, and uh, he was able to um, see through his blindfold a little bit, and he did see Weaver's Needle as well as some old ruins. Um, and he was, was um, taken to get all a bunch of gold, quite a bit of gold that he could carry. And this story supposedly um, is backed up by other people. So there's one story um, of an old timer who, Brought a sack of gold to San Francisco, about $6,000 worth, when gold was probably $35 an ounce back in those times. So many, many stories like this of people who found this gold, um, uh, different individuals. Like I said, you get the book and you can read about this for hours. But uh, some of the things that uh, people look for, uh, some of the main clues are the pilings, where the tools were, Um, and looking for evidence of shafts because these were said to have been filled, covered with ironwood logs, um, smeared with caliche to make a coating, and then bushes planted over the entrances. So This could be pretty hard to find um, if it's there, but it does seem that there really was a mine there at one time. And if that's something you're interested in, uh, pretty amazing stories that you can read about, find about these interesting characters um, through the years, through the um, uh, early 1800s on through to the early 1900s. So... One other story I want to talk about is the verisite mineral. Thought we would talk about verisite today. I talked a lot about turquoise the last uh, couple of weeks ago, and I always enjoy talking about turquoise, one of my favorite minerals. Um, verisite is named from Vericia, an old name for a German district um, in Germany, of course, where they found rare crystals of predominantly um, crystalline or fine-grained masses of veins and crust or nodules of varicytes. Now, this uh, is usually near the surface where it's produced um, with very phosphate-rich waters. um, Commonly occurs in association with uh, apatite, wave light, and with chalcedony and various hydrous oxides of iron, located in Australia, Czech Republic, uh, Venezuela, Austria, and North Carolina, Utah, and Arizona. Versite is very valuable as a semi-precious gemstone. It is an ornamental material. It's porous, and when it is worn next to the skin, it, like turquoise, tends to absorb your oils from your body and will take on... uh, take on characteristics of its wearer on behalf of that fact Vericite rarely forms crystals when it does they are often visible only under an electron microscope um, Bisbee is a wonderful area where veriite occurs in the mining district of Arizona um, it is a uh, when you find it a lot of times it is a uh, con uh, con uh, concentrary versite, which is often found in nodules and concretions and you will see it in that that form and it is often mistaken for turquoise Uh, it makes beautiful jewelry it can be polished into cabochons or um, free-handed to to make the most of the particular piece that you have it is of the group of phosphates color is pale green to apple green of course it can have different matrixes typically uh, is brown but can have black and dark and gray and other matrixes mixed through it to give it more um, characteristics hardness is typically about 4.5 uh, on the Mohs scale sometimes you'll find very jimmy a that can actually be even harder than this when it is um, impregnated with some silicon It can go even harder. The cleavage is fairly good, um, rarely visible. The fracture is splintery in uh, massive types. The luster is vitreous or waxy. The streak is gray. Specific gravity is about 2.6, and it is somewhat uh, opaque. So you can enjoy it for that. So for those of you who have hung in and would like to um, get kind of nerdy, We will go into our last subject. If you're leaving us now, we want to thank you for being a part of Radical Rocks. We want to encourage you to go to our website, RadicalRocks.com. We really appreciate and um, value your support, whether it just be sharing our podcast blogs and whatnot. Um, and signing up and subscribing and getting the notifications for the YouTube videos and all of that good stuff or giving us a, uh, you know, good uh, four or five star review on the podcast. We appreciate that. It helps us grow. Um, as you may or may not know, we do give back and have given back a lot more to rocks and minerals by donating to educational purposes um, and groups and and funding those things. Um, we've done some fun things through the years like send rocks off to different individuals, little heroes that have been in the news and things like that. We would like to expand and we do that through um, basically just your support on our sites getting monetized by um, you know YouTube or uh, our podcast and things like that. If we can continue to grow, that will happen. So let's get into the uh, rock nerd subject of the day, uh, meteorological microscope. That is a, a mouth uh, full of marbles to say that. If you go to thefutureofthings.com, you can find an article called Who Invented the Meteorological Microscope. Um, meteorology is a study of minerals, a meteorological Uh, microscope which i said it right that time finally was invented by a geologist um, named henry clifton sorby uh, in 1863. of course this has been updated and um, modernized throughout the years and it is a wonderful tool um, that uses a certain form of illumination a highly powered microscope to view opaque objects and shed light through them so that the different reflections of that light occur and those characteristics are studied to be able to find out what type of mineralogical properties are inside of these minerals and this is done under extremely high magnification this can identify flaws in metal surfaces Um, gemstones can be analyzed with it samples can be Uh, chipped apart to find out how many minerals of what different types are in there. It's used in archaeology. It can be used in looking at fossils. It's used, again, in gemstone grading, valuing. Mineralogically uh, speaking, it's used for kind of uh, finding out if an area is worth mining. So there's different types of these microscopes. Um, The meteorological microscope comes in three different basic types. The upright microscope, most frequently used, Um, the lens is above the specimen. There's the inverted microscope, used for larger specimens where objects are located under the uh, underneath. Also, semiconductor upright microscopes has a specially large stage. Has a throat depth to accommodate the whole semiconductor wafers, which help analyze this mineral. Now, the optics work different from any other microscope because of this special illumination. The mineral level and illumination comes from lighting at the front, it's mirrored at the back of the specimen, and so the light is basically going up through both sides of the specimen, usually. Tiny, tiny little particles of specimens are best to look at this. Uh, It is powdered up and looked at to find out what these um, reflections will tell us. There is different magnification tools. Uh, These various types are the dark field illumination, which is used to create images with a bright uneven, uh, or to get images from... Uh, specimens that have an uneven structure like etched grain boundaries, edges, pores, and dark backgrounds. Then there's bright field illumination that helps create the best images with a well-lit background on dark and uneven features. There's the Nomarski prism commonly used with various interferences, contrast methods also lets the user study features that are not otherwise seen in brighter magnification. There's polarized light. This is regularly used to examine metals with non-cubic crystalline structures such as magnesium and alpha titanium. The polarized light in this situation is made by a polarizer which is found near the illuminator illuminator and analyzer. There's many features to these microscopes. Um, We know that uh, some of them are huge like a binocular Um, so there's the trinocular, the binocular, the monocular trinoculars 3, binoculars 2, monoculars 1 they have an eyepiece, a lens different details that go into the building of these of course on satellites they use the ones with the binocular and the uh, minocular is for, you know, sitting there at a desk with uh, like a microscope type thing um, to look at little specimens So with all these things in mind, um, and the education and information that's coming about, it's helped with steel production, Um, it helps those who are mining find and locate the different varieties of minerals, it is an indispensable tool among researchers and students, and uh, certainly a subject of a little bit of interest to us real rock hounding nerds. So with that, guys, we're going to conclude today's show. I want to thank you and encourage you again. Check out Radical Rocks. Join up, sign in, share, and remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify.